The biggest game of the year is finally here. Bengals, Rams. We'll be doing a complete breakdown of the entire game. Who has the advantages on both sides of the ball? Plus prop bets and our official predictions. The Saints find the replacement for Sean Payton. Joe Judge finds himself back in New England. And the Cardinals find themselves in a predicament with Kyler Murray. And Christmas comes early for Mike as Ben Simmons finally gets traded out of Philadelphia. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, we're just a few days away from the Super Bowl, but if you know one thing about me and Mike, we're big sports guys, we're sports fans. It's not just football, we love all sports, and of course, a team that is near and dear to Mike's heart is the Philadelphia 76ers. Breaking news here as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, the Brooklyn Nets are trading James Harden to the Sixers for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. Massive blockbuster. Your thoughts, Mr. Lombardi? Well, you know, I, I think it's a it's a great lesson in understanding how to operate a trade. You got, I think you got to give Daryl Morey a ton of credit for. Remember when the season ended last year? Everybody said Simmons has no value. He, you're not going to get crap for Simmons. And Morey basically said, "Bullshit! I'm going to hold on to this guy. Patience is a virtue." And and he did. He ended up getting hardened. So the the there's the the sixer right side of my brain that's been to rehab, uh, you know, to try to dissolve this union with the team so many times says, oh, I'm excited. The six, the, my left part of the brain that, that hasn't really gone through rehab is like cautiously optimistic and this is going to fall apart, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, look, I, I think a lot of this is a tribute to Maury and Maury's ability to be patient. And one thing, you know, and I hate to keep bringing this up, but it's kind of, it's almost eerie how similar this is. So part of the new book that I've been writing writing is one of the chapters is talking about trades and talking about all different kinds of trades. And typically there's three kinds of trades you make. Uh, usually it's, we got to get the player the hell out of here trade, right? Uh, we got the desperate times calls for desperate measures trade. And we're one player away trade. You know, those are usually, they're, they're kind of the root causes of bad trades. And this is one of those where Brooklyn felt like we got to get him out of here because he's not going to he's not going to pick up his option. He's not going to sign. And the 76ers were desperate teams make desperate moves. So Maury hung in there and turned down a lot of shitty offers and showed <laughs> patience and and give the owners of the Sixers credit, too, because they were willing to stand in there. And look, I, I think as you go over these trades and the, the, the one the one trade I really went in detail on was the Herschel Walker trade. And I talked to Jimmy this week, and because I we were part of it in Cleveland, we were the first team to offer the Cowboys something in Cleveland, and we had them on the line, and we were we thought we were one player away from winning a title in '89. We weren't; we were a long way away. That was the mistake, and and so I think that ultimately this is the NBA is is a league that will make trades. The NFL doesn't seem to want to do it, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm sure I'll end up going to rehab this offseason. <laughs> Something will happen, but, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, AD. Yeah, listen, Simmons, as you said, he wasn't playing, so you get something for nothing because it was, wasn't working out. I don't know what you're going to be giving up too much, maybe in Curry and Andre Drummond, and of course those two first-round picks. You never know what happens to the picks. The other part of his Harden, as you and I have said, explosive offensive player. Of course, Maury's guy with Houston. 
but getting paid a lot of money. I mean, this is a win now move. I could totally see me a year from now going, Jesus Christ, AD, this guy didn't play defense. His jump shot sucks. Like this is in some ways a risky move. No, it, it, it is a risky move. But you know, when you when you think you're that one guy away, you take risk, right? When you know you have a star player who's limited in terms of how durable he's going to be during his career, you take risk. And I and I think look, the thing about Simmons is, you know, he would rather retreat than compete. At the end of the day, he would rather retreat than compete. I mean, because he never took LSU to a playoff. When the playoffs come around, he retreats. And the difference is here now, and I want to share this story, and I think this is really important. In 1986, we, we traded a bunch of picks. We traded down, one of the first teams to really start trading down. Uh, and we ended up with a boatload of draft picks. Bill Walsh was orchestrating all this. And we got to the third round, and we were looking for a corner. And we, after the, in the top of the third round, we picked Tom Rathman. And then in the middle of the third round, we wanted to pick a corner. So there was this really good corner on the board named Tim McKayer. He's from Texas Arlington when they still played football. Really athletic, could run like the wind, but he wasn't very tough. And he wouldn't tackle, you know? And so we kind of talked through it. And Ray Rhodes, who was then the defensive back coach, says it to me afterwards. He says, look, he said, Ray Bob says, Ronnie will get him to tackle. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, he won't come back to the huddle if he doesn't tackle with Ronnie in the huddle. And I thought, yeah, that's a really good point. And I think this is the same, this is similar here now for Simmons. Simmons ain't going to tell Durant what he's doing. Simmons is walking into a new venue. He's, it's not his team anymore. He's the new kid on the block, you know? And so he now has to, he has to deal with the pressure from Durant. It's Durant's team. Make no bones about it. He owns Brooklyn. You know, he owns all of Brooklyn, you know, and he's probably smacking the table down, telling them what he's going to do in the meeting and when they go with the five families, but he owns it all. So this is going to see what Simmons does when he has pressure internally. When he had pressure internally in Philadelphia, Jimmy Butler, he wanted Jimmy Butler gone. When he had pressure internally in Philadelphia, he retreated. So are you going to compete or are you going to retreat? I know there's some theories that, hey, whoever gets the best player wins the trade. Well, in that case, James Harden's the best player. But the Nets get a bunch of stuff. If they can unlock Simmons, if they can get the best out of his potential, if Steve Nash can get him to coexist with those other stars, maybe it ends up being a good trade for both. Speaking of Steve Nash, I got a text from a guy in the league who now wants me to start calling. I have not, this is not verified, but somebody in the NBA who was a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, and uh, he was saying, you know, I found a new clapper. Because a lot of people have been searching for the new clapper. Yeah, yeah. After Jason Garrett, of course. You know, yeah. we, we know Jason Garrett's not coming back anytime soon. Yeah. So we have to replace Garrett with somebody. You know, and and so he has nominated Steve Nash as the new clapper. Because all he no, does is clap. On. Now I would urge all the <laughs> listeners here, if you if you have a snapshot of, of Steve Nash clapping, feel free to send it along. We'll, we can, we're willing to pass the torch. I'm sure Jason Garrett would love to pass the torch of Clapper A. You know, this would be like you know you do those movies on Cinephile. You know that these are like what do they call those? These are are franchises. These are fra- franchises. The, the Clapper's yeah. a franchise. We can expand it. <laughs> clapper A, Clapper B. It doesn't have to be limited to one. It's at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, there's more than one Batman. Yeah. Okay. So if you see Jay, if next time you see Nash clap and tell me. All right, we're gonna look for the clapper, Steve Nash. Um, let's get into the football, have we? A few days away here from the Super Bowl. A majority of the prep is done. What's happening right now, Mike? What are the coaches, what are the players doing literally just days away from the biggest moment of their lives? This is the this is like a typical, this is this is like an October week. 
They're going to go. Their pra- today is Thursday. They had a Thursday practice. Whatever their typical routine is on Thursday, that's what they're going to do. Meetings in the morning, practice in the afternoon, practice meetings afterwards. You know, fine tune the game plan, get the reps, go home. It's just all normal. There's nothing really changed. I mean, all the work's done. You know, the the difference for the coaches this week is they don't have to stay late on Thursday preparing for what they want to install on Friday. They've already done that already. So, you know, the coaches have a little bit of chance to kind of relax and get going. I'm sure it's probably a hell of a week for Kevin O'Connell because once he's done his main job working with the Rams, he's got to then start working on his staff there in in Minnesota. But I think this is it's an easier week for the coaches after it's not going to be long nights. Now, if they want to tinker with something or they have an idea, that separates it. We'll talk more about the actual game and do some bets and prop bets and all the rest of that stuff, the fun stuff, as they say. But there is some other NFL news we want to take care of. And uh, let me know if this is interesting. Obviously, Dennis Allen's hired as the Saints head coach. I mean, Sean Payton moves on. So they give the keys to Dennis Allen, their defensive coordinator since 2015. Allen was previously the head coach of the Raiders from 2012 to 2014. He said, I want to take the lessons that I've learned. I want to build upon those lessons. I want to create my own legacy here. You have to do it your way. You have to be yourself. He surely has made his mark on the Saints defense, Mike. They rank fourth in both points allowed and yards allowed over the past three seasons, and they were the first team in 15 years to shut out Tom Brady this past December. Said GM Mickey Loomis, we selected him because of his leadership skills, because of his teaching skills, because of his football acumen, and frankly, he's just a damn good football coach. Big shoes to fill in New Orleans now for him. Yeah, no doubt. But I I like what he said. I think what he said was true. I got to be my own guy. I can't come in with the same program. I'm going to have to be somebody different. And even though I've been here before, I can't be afraid of doing something different and, and offending Sean Payton. It's a little bit like when the vice president takes over for the president. You know, he's going to have to run the country his way and try to be respectful to the person that was the president, but also put his stamp and kind of go in that direction. So I think I think this is a smart move. Look, I think Dennis is a really good guy. And I think anytime people say, well, he's a retread, I think because the job is so goddamn hard, it, it almost is important to be a retread. Like you're going to be a bet. Brian Flores will be a better coach the next time he's a head coach, if he gets one, than he was the first time. All these guys, if you learn from it, if you really take detailed notes. And if you're meticulous in terms of every decision that's come along and what you have to look at, if you treat it much like the president, where at night you're sitting there writing in your diary about what the hell happened and how you handled those decisions, well, the next chance you get, you're going to be better off for it. That's the story, at least when it comes to him. And obviously New Orleans is in flux. We know there are questions at quarterback and all the rest of it. How about Joe Judge? After an unsuccessful short tenure in New York, he's back to New England following the departure of offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. He'll be an offensive assistant. He coached with New England from 2012 to 2019. And his final season in New England, he served as the wide receiver coach and special teams coordinator. He brings some stability here to the front office. Obviously a guy that Bill Belichick knows. What do you think of the fact quarterback coach Mike Bo Hardegree, he's also joining McDaniels in Las Vegas. It's possible other assistants could follow. Veteran running backs coach Ivan Fears expected to retire. So there's some changes here now with New England. And obviously they're looking for some consistency. Yeah, but I think I think for all Patriot fans, I think the most important thing is the head coach is going to run the team. And so whomever he brings in, whether he brings in Joe Judge or Adam Gase or you know, whomever he decides to, that he's going to appoint as the person in charge, it's all going to run through him. And I think this is his opportunity, no different than Dennis Allen's opportunity to go in and kind of cleanse the offense. And not in a bad way, in, in a way to where after so many years of building and layering the offense, 
that now what you have a young quarterback and you're going to have basically a new staff, Bill's going to be able to go in there and kind of fit and do and tailor what he wants to do with the offense moving forward. And as the general manager and as the head coach, he then can start putting the pieces together to fit that accordingly. So, you know, I I, I don't think anybody is going to run this. It's not Bill's style. Bill, you have to earn the right to become a coordinator with Bill. You know, one of the things that I always thought when I, I didn't know Josh McDaniels, but I can remember this. I think it was 2003. They were playing the Chargers or 2004. I think the year they went to the Super Bowl, they were playing the Chargers in San Diego. And Josh, I think, had, had was calling the plays, but nobody knew who the coordinator was. Charlie Weiss was already gone. Yeah. So, so it had to be 2004. And so Weiss was already gone. And I'm watching the game, and I'm seeing McDaniels talking to Brady and telling Brady what to do, and Bill standing there. And I thought, that's all I needed to know, how good Josh was. Because if Bill didn't have enough confidence in Josh, he would be handling it. But basically, you, I knew Josh was a great coach at that moment just by that interaction. And I think you can tell a lot. As Yogi said, you can see a lot from looking. And I think you can tell <laughs> a lot from that. So uh, I, was, I, I think to me, Bill will not turn this over to anyone until he knows that person is ready to be the guy. Right, and let's think. Joe Judge is not going to be the offensive coordinator. He's an assistant. Do you think he just got too in over his skis with the Giants? Like, what what happened? What went wrong? Some guys are just better assistants than head coaches. What do you think happened? I think what I've said, and I wrote this for the Daily Coach a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, I think what happens to all these guys is they go into new organizations, and they think everybody's going to be compliant to the Patriot way, and the Patriot way is so foreign to what everybody does in the league. I think Brady experienced this in Tampa. I think Brady fought this really in Tampa. He's used to doing it one way. Bruce is used to do it the other way, and it was uncomfortable. So I, I think that's ultimately the biggest problem. And, and for Josh, as he goes to the Las Vegas, he's got a chance to really bring people in that fit what he wants to do. Whereas Joe was trying to adapt people to what he wanted to do. I think that was a major flaw. I think the other thing is Joe wasn't ready to be a head coach. I mean, let's be honest. He'd only been a special teams coordinator. He's learning on the job. He's in a tough situation with a bad team and they had expectations. He would have been better off, now not for his career or his financial situation, <laughs> to take the Memphis State job and learn how to be a coach in the Southeast Conference and then come back to the NFL. But, you know, that's, you can't sometimes predict that the, the, it would have taken a lot of courage to do that. You know, you get the New York Giants head football job, you got to take it, but you're not really ready for it. I totally respect where he was coming from, but like I said, everybody can agree. It did not work out. Hopefully he'll bounce back now with New England and Bill Belichick where he's had considerable success. As you mentioned at the end of our previous episode of GM Shuffle, What's going on with Kyler Murray? Well, we mentioned that they'd unfollowed the Cardinals, deleted all of his photos in a Cardinals uniform. He's surely looking for a massive contract this offseason. He's completed 67% of his passes, 11,480 yards, 70 touchdowns, of 34 picks in three seasons. He's also ran for just under 1,800 yards and 20 touchdowns. He has played out the first three years of his rookie deal and as a fifth-year option the team will likely exercise. So Arizona started out strong this season. They finished as 4-7, and seven, missed the playoffs for a sixth straight season. Is this just a guy pissed off and wants a lot more money? I, I don't know what he's mad about. I mean, I don't know what he's mad about. Like, I, I can't figure it out. Like, he didn't, he played like shit. Like, seriously, like, what are you mad about? Like, play better. You know, you're, how long on this podcast have we been complaining about his body language? You know, I mean, we wrote this for the Daily Coach back when Des, De, Desmond, uh, Desmond Green was talking to Steve Kerr about his body language and how it affects the team. This guy's body language affected his team. 
Like at some point, like you got to stop being a diva. You know, the NFL is not the NBA. Like you just can't do the Harden thing and get out or the Simmons thing and get out. Right. Like that's not going to happen. We're, 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 I'm, I'm promise you, if I could bet one thing, I'm betting Rodgers is back in Green Bay. I bet he's at 50 million a year, but I bet he's back in Green Bay. Hmm. Like I think all the, I don't think he's going anywhere because I think it's, the, the, they don't want him to go anywhere. So for me, I mean, for Murray, like, like just start to play better and be a better teammate. Like, don't be sitting there and like, when you throw this shitty pass, don't be blaming somebody else. I mean, look, let's face it. It's been two years in a row. You get hurt. And all of a sudden, somebody else's fault. Like, show some accountability. Like, you're the leader of the team. This is your team. Be the leader. Take responsibility. I got to play better. I'm going to do everything I can this offseason to make sure we're going to get better. I mean, you, Mahomes is saying it. Allen's saying it. This guy's saying, you know, retreat. he's another one. Retreat. Don't compete. Like, really? Here's the money. He's ending in the final year of his rookie deal, as I said. Cardinals have until May 2nd to pick up the fifth-year option. He's scheduled to earn under a million dollars in 2022, 965000 but $4.5 million roster bonus fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the league year. He's going to take home about $5.4 million. but clearly he wants a new contract before his fourth season. If you look at a guy like Josh Allen, he had a six-year contract worth $258 million in early August. That was before he started his fourth season. And Murray's going to say, hey, in three seasons since being the number one overall pick. I've been Rookie of the Year. I've made two Pro Bowls. This is clearly what he's saying, Mike. He wants the guaranteed money now rather than waiting two more years. Yeah, I mean, this is all, it's all negotiation. I mean, I think this is the advice. I don't know who his agent is, but clearly he wants a new contract. And, you know, I mean, there's ways to do that without... You know, I mean, I want a new contract. You want a new contract. Are we going to just unfollow each other? I mean, I mean, seriously, is that what we're going to do? Right. I mean, we'll see if anybody you know, notices. Yeah. You know, so and and you know, they have the same agent as Kingsbury. So, you know, I mean, what's Kingsbury's agent telling him that my guy's unhappy? I mean, like, we don't need to. We don't need the agent here. Can't we all just sit around one table and break bread? It's like Uncle Junior said. Can't we just take one piece of paper and pass it around and not have to kill a forest in the Northwest? <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> underrated great line. Let's see what happens. Kyler Murray clearly angry. <laughs> he, but. All of his lines are underratedly great. I mean, they all are underratedly great. I mean, who was texting me? When Piomai died, I oh, was yeah. sad. I was. I didn't know Piomai wasn't even. I mean, I, I didn't know Piomai had a stage name. Did you know that? No, I didn't actually realize that. I just remember when Ralphie goes, it's a freaking horse. <laughs> He's so upset at Tony being upset. Like, who gives a shit? That reminds me. Did you ever talk to Renzuli? Did he ever get to I what he thought? I not talked to him. I got to get okay. in touch with that guy. I got to right. get in touch. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to get this James D'Angino, the guy who's writ- wrote the book Destiny Betrayed, on the podcast, I don't think he understands how to work Twitter because he tweets, but he doesn't look at his tweets. And I keep asking him, hey, please DM me. And, you know, I want to get you on the pod. He, he doesn't respond to me. He treats me like I'm I'm just, he, you know, like I'm waiting in the lobby. <laughs> he thinks I'm Frank Pantasley waiting in the lobby. I don't know issue with Michael Corleone. Oh, that's so good. Coming up, our full breakdown of the Super Bowl will attack the game from both teams and both sides of the ball, plus prop bets and official predictions next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in 
instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, the Rams went all in this year, and they're a game away from proving it was worth it. They'll be at home at SoFi Stadium. They are favored by four points. They picked up Matthew Stafford. They got Von Miller. They got OBJ. They've got the pressure, but they also have the veterans. I mean, a moment like this, Mike, specifically, listen, I think their defense is going to step up. I think Donald's phenomenal. We know about Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey. But for guys like Stafford and OBJ, this is your redemption song, right? Bob Marley style. You guys want to prove you're worth it. You step up today, and this will erase a lot of negativity and ill will from the past. Well, it puts the, it puts the signature on your career because, you know, in this book, you know, one of the things I think the Hall of Fame committee looks for is did you win? Did you win a championship? I mean, it's one of the things that endears you. Tommy McDonald, you know, was an all-decade team all through the 60s, but he won a Super Bowl in 61 and 60 with the with the Eagles. He went to six Pro Bowls, you know, and that and that kind of that 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 stamped his career as valid, even though he only had four winning seasons out of out of 13 or something like that. But that stamped it. This is what it does. It stamps your career. If you're an elite player, it p- gives you that stamp. You know, Matthew Stafford's numbers, I mean, you know, he's going to, I mean, Sonny Jurgensen's the only active quarterback, the only Hall of Fame quarterback who never won a playoff game, you know, and 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 his numbers were, were good. I mean, don't get me wrong. And Stafford's going to have Hall of Fame-like numbers. Do I think he's a Hall of Famer? No, I don't. Do I think he's a Hall of Fame talent? Yes. But if he wins this game, it certainly is going to be in a conversation. So this is the game that stamps you. And, you know, it stamps your career. It validates your career and it gets you the places where some players have never been. So I, I do think that, 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 that the, the, they have to step up without really feeling the pressure of stepping up. Like, just play your game. Just be yourself. Yeah, and that's why if the Rams win this game, I say to myself, okay, Stafford obviously has to play well. He can't turn the ball over. Cooper Cup's going to have a good game. But again, I go back to that defense. Like, if Aaron Donald plays like the defensive player of the year that he is and those guys are going to bring it, that's going to be a recipe for success. Meantime, for the Bengals, they are playing the underdog card, right? They've gone from worst to first. They've turned things around quickly. Nobody expected them to be here. I'm sure they are drilling that message all week. And for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, how do you think – I don't want to say how you can attack the Rams defense, but how will they be successful against that Rams defense, particularly that front led by Donald? Well, I think they know going in, much like they knew in the Raider game, they can't block the front. I mean, they, they knew they couldn't block Crosby. They knew they couldn't block Ndokwe. They knew they couldn't block them. So they went and they spread it out and they threw the ball all over the lot, try to get quick throws, get in a second and four, run the ball, convert, get the ball out of his hands really quickly. What he tried to do, you know, and then the next week we saw Tennessee take that option away. And Tennessee did a good job, and that's why they had all those sacks and kind of knocked them back and attacked their pass protections. I think that's the the approach. And Raheem Morris knows this. Let's just think about this for a second. In the three playoff games, the Rams have only allowed six third downs to be converted out of 32. That's 18%. They've been remarkable. They have been remarkable. And when you break this game down, 
and you talk to people in the league that have watched both teams as I have, you know, this is going to be a huge challenge for the Bengals because the way the Chiefs played Chase last week, the way they doubled them and over the top and they forced the ball to go to Higgins, who was wonderful and good and did all that. And Burrow, I gotta get, Burrow knows he got to get the ball out of his hands. I mean, he avoided two huge sacks in that game with a scramble. How he did it, I don't know. But I don't think there's any way that Zach Taylor and Frank Pollock and, and Brian Callahan are sitting in their offices saying, look, we can throw it on these guys. We'll block them. It's no problem. They know they can't. They got to get the ball out quick. And Raheem knows that as well. He's going to have a plan for that. The advantage they have is if they want to play man-to-man, you know, one of the things I think that's really important about your your receiving core in the National Football League as you move forward is you've got to build it like a basketball team. You've got to have big guys, little guys, so that you can create the matchups you want. If Chase and and if Chase is going to be trailed all the time by Jalen Ramsey, then that's going to leave Higgins, who's six feet four, on a corner who's not very tall. Whatever one it is, right? Williams, whatever, whichever one, they're going to be five eleven, five ten. There's a five inch advantage. And so if this becomes a man-to-man game, the ball can get out quicker to Higgins. But I think that I think based on what the Chiefs did, I don't think this is going to be a pure man-to-man game. I think it'll be a match zone game, but I think they'll double chase. And I think they're going to force him to try to hold the football. That goes into further the conversation about coaching matchups. Offensive coordinator for the Rams is Kevin O'Connell. He's going to become the Vikings head coach for the Bengals, uh, Brian Callahan. So you're talking about coordinators, the defensive coordinator. You just mentioned his name, Raheem Morris, and what he's going to try to do for the defense. So let's go there even a little bit further. So as you said, it's going to be matchups. It's going to be trying to probably double Jamar Chase if you're Raheem Morris and as you're going to Kevin Connell. The other side of the ball for the Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, and for the Bengals, it's Lou Anarumo. So when you look at these matches, Mike, go in-depth here on the coordinator specifically. Well, I think Lou Anarumo is going to be a cha- His challenge is, what do I do? If I play a seven-man front, which is what I think he'll do, he's going to encourage Sean McVay to try to run the ball. It's what he did with Andy Reid. And, and both the last two teams, including last three teams, have run the ball on the Bengals. The running game will be a huge option for the Rams. Now, the difference is the Rams will run it. Andy Reid gets bored with running it. So there, there lies the difference. And I think that's what Lou's going to try to do. He's going to say, look, I, I'm going to try to play some cover too. I'm going to keep the ball in front of me. I'm not going to let the ball get behind me and try to handle this down the field passing game and encourage them to run it. Now, they've been very good on third down. They've been 50% on third down. The, and and the, the other thing is, which is challenging and why the Bengals, the Bengals have not played great defense. When you look at the numbers, they have not played great defense. What they have been able to do is be very opportunistic. Their offense has held the ball for 32 minutes and change. So their defense has only played 28 minutes. So what do I always say on the pot? You want to play great defense, play less defense. And that's why they've been able to, their, their yards per play at the Bengals is high. They're averaging a 5-9, you know, and they only get 5-1 per play. But they've been able to control the football with their offense. I think that's what Lou's counting on from his offense. You guys got to control the ball because I can't play 32 minutes against this Ram offense. And the Rams, conversely, they have held the ball for 35 and minutes and change. Okay? And their defense has only played like 26 minutes. So they've done exactly what the Bengals have done. The difference, though— and this is one of the prop bets I really like. The difference is the Rams have scored 48 points in the first half and only allowed 10. The Rams play from in front. And the Bengals haven't been able to do that in the three games. And they've been able to come from behind, but they haven't always been able to. They play from in front of Tennessee. They play from in front a little bit. But the last game, they didn't. I think that's McVay's modus operandi. That's why I like the Rams laying three in the first half as a prop bet, because I think the Rams will come out really, really with an aggressive game plan to run the ball and then play action. 
I think it's fascinating what you're saying, how Lou Anorama was going to say, okay, I'll let them have the run. I don't want to get burned deep. So often you hear defenses say, okay, let's stop the run and go from there. This is the other way around. No, no, no. If you want to run three yards, fine. No problem. We're not going to get burned on a deep ball to Cooper Cup. That's not going to happen to us. You mentioned the Super Bowl bet. So Rams minus three first half. Rams for the game minus four. Pretty good line. I'm going to take the Rams. You? I'm taking the Rams too. I'm going to take the Rams. I, I like the Rams. I think this. I think this is a matchup that favors the Rams. And I've talked to a lot of people. There's nothing that that Lou can do defensively that's going to make Sean McVay have problems. And I think Sean McVay's been here before. I think he understands it. And I don't think he's going to take his foot off the gas. I, I think. I think. Now we all know that both these guys, Zach Taylor and Sean, can screw up game management with the best of them. <laughs> Right, we all know that, <laughs> but I do think Sean's got the much better team. Yeah, I think if you were to rank, if you were to rank the four teams the the, the Rams have played in the playoffs, the Cardinals, the Bucks, a, a, and then the the 49ers, I think they would probably go Bucks, 49ers, and then it would be between the Cardinals and and the Ram, and the Bengals for the third team. So they've already gone through the toughest road. Now, to me, the other way around, I think this is the hardest team they're going to have played. Because the Rams are playing so damn good on defense that I think that that's going to be a real issue. You mentioned, again, the coaches. Taylor was the quarterback coach of McVay's Rams team that reached the Super Bowl in 2018. Any help there in familiarity for either guy, or is that nonsense? No, I think he knows what they're going to do. You know, I'm sure they're going to change all their calls at the line and their checks, which I'm sure they have over the years. I mean, they know he knows how Sean thinks. He knows how Sean wants to set up the game plan. But, you know, Sean knows what he thinks, too, and how he's going to set it up. Look, it's not a hard. It's not going to be hard to figure out what the Bengals are doing on defense, and it's not going to be hard. This is going to be a game of adjustment. The last time McVay was in a Super Bowl, he didn't adjust. Belichick came out early in the game, played a style of defense that I don't know why he wasn't used to, why he didn't think he was going to play it. Part of being a great coach is to anticipate how people are going to play you, right? How are they going to play us, right? And if you're Raheem Morris, they're going to play us. They're going to spread us out. They're going to try to nickel and dime us out of base or out of 11 and try to get quick throws. They can't block us, right? That's same thing with Zach Taylor. This is what I think Raheem Morris is going to do. Same thing with Sean. Lou's going to play cover two, force us. We don't have Higby maybe, force us to be patient and run the ball. And then you've got to adjust accordingly. More prop bets then. We're both picking the Rams at minus four. A Rams rushing touchdown anytime. That's an interesting prop bet. <laughs> I like that one. I do, because I think the Rams will run it in. I like that one. Um, I think the Rams will run it in. Cooper Cup catches seven and a half, over or under? I'm going under on that. Wow. I, I just think to me, you know, he's had 21 catches so far this year. I think he goes under that number because it, that means he's getting eight of them. I don't see that. Yeah, if there's one guy you're stopping, it's Cooper Cup. We're going to double this guy. So that would be theory there. Burrow passing yards. 273.5. Now, I don't think he passes for 300, but it might be 280, hence why it's such a good number. Over or under for you? I think I think he goes under that number because I think I think if he's throwing that much, he's getting sacked. That's interesting logic. Um, over 48 and a half. You're going over that number for the game. You're saying 50 points in this game. Yeah. I like the over here. I think I think the Rams will score in their 30s. I think they're capable of that against this defense. And I think the Bengals will score some, particularly late. We saw what the once the Bengals can tire the Rams out a little bit, like the Bucks did. I think they'll score. I think they'll score some second half points. I, I, I do. I could see a 27-23 Rams, which would be the over. Yeah. How about the coin flip heads? 
I like heads. I, I love the coin flip. You know what I don't know is how long the national anthem. Who is singing the national anthem? Do we know? I didn't check. I, the other day somebody was talking about now, Michael Bublé, the great Canadian singer, was on NHL Network talking about anthems. Remember Fergie did the anthem at the NBA All Star game. It was like one of the worst anthems ever. She just stretched the yeah. hell out of that thing. But he said that's the key. Is sometimes you got to remember they're not there for you. Although the halftime show is ridiculous, they've got they've got it's like the hip hop dream team. Mary J. Blige, Snoop Dogg. There's gonna be like. Dr. Dre, I mean, they're going to have like literally four different performers. You get one song each, then get the hell out of here. I mean, that's, I'm sure there's a profit about that. It's uh, it's yeah. unbelievable. Michael Guyton is the nicest going to sing the national anthem. So, you know, they, they, that country singer now, that usually puts a lot of emphasis on. Going to go uh, the over. I've been yeah. to Lukenbach, Texas, you know. <laughs> I mean, I got to think that they're going to stretch this bad boy out. Don't you think? I think so too. I think they're definitely going to get their money's worth. All right. I will go 27-23, Rams win, Aaron Donald MVP. You? I'm going 31-20, Rams, and I'll give Stafford the MVP. What a cool story that be. The guy goes from the Detroit Lions, gets rescued to the Rams, and wins a Super Bowl and wins MVP. You don't think the turnovers are going to hurt him in this game. Do you think that's him playing a controlled offense, or the Bengals' defense just isn't as good? I think they're going to run the football, and he's going to take his shots down the field where he's not going to throw it in a, in a traffic. As always, send us your mailbag questions to the GM Shuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is from Sean. Win or lose, are there any organization-wide lessons to be learned from the Bengals? Or will their turnaround from a two-win team two years ago be chalked up as simply Joe Burrow and catching lightning in a bottle? Well, I think Burrow helps their culture. There's no doubt. And I think that, that Chase has obviously given them that big play. But the McPherson pick has proved to be, even though he missed that, that, that kick against Green Bay, I think the McPherson pick has been really dynamic. And so, you know, I think is there a lesson to learn that, yeah, if you can get a great player at quarterback and you can get a receiver to get him the ball and you can manage around that with a running game. I mean, this skill, the skill for the Bengals is outstanding. And, and I think that the defensive coordinator of the Bengals, Lou, has done a great job of, of, of being able to mix his talent and play within that. But the real lesson to learn here is, is that they got hot at the right time. Ultimately, it is that simple. Uh, Oscar nominations for the Pop Culture Minute came in on Tuesday. Power of the Dog, which we talked about, 12 nominations. That's the front runner right now to win Best Picture, Best Director, our boy Benedict Cumberbatch with the cowboy hat. Belfast, which I love, got seven Oscar nominations. West Side Story, a great film. So I hope you and Millie get some time in the next six weeks to be able to watch a couple of these movies to get ready for the Oscars. Um, we're going to watch We're gonna watch The Power of the Dog, and I think we're definitely going to— Belfast isn't out yet, so we're going to— Belfast will be streaming soon. But Power of the Dog is we're just— finishing up the uh, Harlan Corbin uh, miniseries on Netflix. I think Safe House or something like that. Mm-hmm. We got one more episode to go tonight. So that, that that's I would give that a good B minus B. Okay. So yeah, it's uh, pretty good. We're, we're, we'll get through it. And, and um, when we actually watch the Super Bowl, what are your Super Bowl plans? I mean, Bill Berman involved? Is Big Daddy involved? Oh, of course he's involved. Yeah, yeah. But, but Big Daddy's involved. Oh, by the way, I've got to read this text here. So, you know, when we were on the other day, right? I went out to, I went out to dinner last night with Big Daddy at this hamburger joint here at this hamburger bar and so I, I told him i said you know we got to get got to get got to get your commentary on this so i asked him when we were on the pod the last time i said what's your view on on basachi and he said well he brings some maturity to the coaching staff must have been a murphy hire and then he says doesn't matter who they bring in if rogers is gone let the love train will go four and 13 Basachi could be Green Bay's next interim coach. This is this is this is a Green Bay fan. This is so you know, you know. He says because it all makes sense. The Packers don't have the urgency to win the championship. They only care about winning the division. So let's not get a love fest over Gutekest yet. That's his thought. As Big Daddy entered, now Big Daddy's worried about the Knicks too. The Knicks have got like 
No, I think they got like 34 minutes. I think they're five games under 500. They're, they're clawing now. The other day, somebody was telling me, they're still doing that thing with the play. And I said, yeah, it's not just the first eight teams. It's the first six. And then the Knicks could be like the eight to 10. They'll be like fighting for that playoff spot. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're doing, you know, the Knicks have got to make, they're still making moves. I mean, I'm looking over here. Washington's trade a bunch of players. They're getting rid of their team. You know, the Mavericks just traded Porzingis to Washington. So... Oh. There's a bunch of trades happening. If you like the NBA trade deadline, this is your time to do it. Spencer Dibwitty went to Dallas. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff happening. It's unquestionable, though. Right now, the Philadelphia 76ers are the favorites to win the Eastern Conference. And how quickly do you think James Harden's hamstring injury is going to heal? I mean, well, so I'm, I mean, I'm gonna send him, I mean, besides sending flowers to Millie for Valentine's Day, I'll send flowers to both he and Ben. <laughs> Thanks for checking out the GM stuff. And we'll talk to you early Monday morning. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody.